Hello, and welcome to the Riveting Reads podcast, where each season brings you a serialized version of thrilling news stories, along with exclusive bonus content from the author. This is season one, Insomnia, book one of the Nightwalker series by J.R. Johansson, narrated by Roy Samuelson. New episodes are posting weekly on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Stick around after today's chapter for some author insights into the writing process behind this chapter with Insomnia's author, J.R. Johansson. Hi, I'm J.R. Johansson, and I'm here to give you a quick recap on Episode 1, Chapter 1 of Insomnia. In the first episode, we discover that Parker spends every night trapped in the dreams of the last person he made eye contact with, and that he believes it's killing him. He is slowly dying. He's losing control of his body, possibly his mind, and it's terrifying. We also see how hard it is that he is trapped in these dreams and the horrifying things he can witness sometimes because of it. Where we left off last episode, Parker and his mom were getting ready to go see a doctor about what's been going on with Parker. He tells her that he's just not sleeping, she doesn't really believe him, she thinks maybe he's on drugs. That's basically what you need to know going into this one. I do not recommend starting with chapter two or chapter three or any other chapter. Just start with chapter one. (laughs) Thanks. Hope you enjoy. Insomnia, The Nightwalkers. Written by J.R. Johansson. Narrated by Roy Samuelson. Two. Dr. Brown had been our family doctor for as long as I could remember. After sitting in the waiting room a few minutes, his nurse led us to a mustard-yellow exam room with pictures of fish on the walls. Now that we were here, I couldn't seem to keep still. I sat down, drummed my fingers against my thighs, stood up, looked at the pictures without really seeing them, and sat down again. The door opened, and Dr. Brown came in. He had always been super thin and serious, and he always managed to take charge the moment he walked in a room. He smiled at my mom and shook my hand before taking a seat on his rolling stool. Well, Parker, we haven't seen you in a while. He bent over my chart, and all I could see were the short brown hairs on top of his head. With teenage boys, that's usually a good thing. What brings you in today? I crossed my arms over my chest. I'm having trouble sleeping. That isn't all, Mom said. I wished again that she had agreed to stay in the waiting room. He's been losing weight. Dr. Brown glanced at me and back at the chart. Teenage boys tend to fluctuate a lot. You play soccer still? I nodded. I can give you some sleeping pills to help get your body back into a regular rhythm, but I don't want you taking them for very long, and you need to make sure you're eating enough to keep up with the exercise. He glanced at his watch and back to my chart. Okay, I said trying not to sound as frustrated as I felt. Of course I had tried sleeping pills, over-the-counter, but still, they made the exhaustion so much worse. I'd be so groggy I could barely walk straight the next day. This wasn't going to get us anywhere, and I couldn't ask him anything with Mom in here. What a waste of time. Dr. Brown squinted at me for a moment before turning back to Mom. There's a new insurance form I'd like you to fill out while I chat with Parker, just to make sure there isn't anything else going on if that's okay with both of you. Mom glanced at me, and I nodded. Yeah, I'll be fine, Mom. Go ahead. She stood, 
and followed the doctor into the hall. I tried to prepare myself. I'd only have a few minutes alone with him. I was sure he had his own reasons for getting rid of mom, but that didn't matter. When he came back, I had to control the conversation. When Dr. Brown stepped back in the room, he handed me a pamphlet, Drugs and the Teenage Mind. I groaned and shook my head. Now, I'm not accusing you of anything, but when you've been a doctor as long as I have, you learn to read the signs. Dr. Brown had kind eyes. They were sympathetic, compassionate, but it didn't change the fact that he was as wrong about me as everyone else. You know that any drugs you put in your system can affect your sleep patterns as well? I looked him straight in the eye and sighed. Okay, fine. Let's say that I am on drugs that are keeping me from sleeping. His bushy brown eyebrows shot up, clearly not the response he had been expecting. What are you on? I didn't admit anything, and it doesn't matter. I shook my head and leaned forward, my elbows resting on my knees. What I need to know is, what happens to a person's brain when they don't sleep? Dr. Brown shook his head. Don't sleep at all? Yes. Well, first they'd be tired, irritable, emotional, obviously. Dr. Brown shrugged, but he was watching my reaction closely. And then there'd be tremors as the brain experienced stutters in its control of the body. Eventually, the body would collapse from exhaustion, and the problem would be fixed for the time being. No matter how tired I became, I never collapsed, and my brain never slept. I wasn't normal. The standard rules obviously didn't apply to me. I shook my head. Let's say they didn't collapse. For whatever reason, a body kept going. What would happen next? He frowned. That's not possible without external influence and extreme stimulation. Okay, then with those things. I'm not sure when I stood up, but his eyes widened as he looked up at me. What would happen next? I don't understand. What's this about? He rolled his stool back a bit. I took a step closer, but kept my voice low. I needed him to answer. What would happen next, doctor? He frowned and stood up, but I still had a couple of inches on him. I'm afraid the effects on the brain would become more pronounced. They would begin to have psychotic episodes, experiencing a variety of dangerous psychological symptoms, and then, well, it's simply not sustainable. People need sleep. Eventually, they would die. It felt like he had punched me in the gut. The room spun a little, and I crumpled back into my seat. My eyes fell to the carpet in front of me. I was going to die. Not today, not tomorrow, but soon. And from how difficult just making it through the day-to-day -day had become lately, it was coming faster than I wanted to admit. The research I had done. I was right. I had been right. I didn't want to be right. Dr. Brown sat back on his stool and scooted it closer to me. Why these questions, Parker? You aren't saying that you... No, I interrupted, looking up with a forced smile. It's about a science project I'm working on. Oh. He stared at me in silence, and I could see that I now had his full attention, but I didn't want it anymore. I'd come for an answer, and he had given it.
I just needed to get out of there without making Dr. Brown any more curious about my questions. There was a knock on the door, and Mom poked her head in. You guys about done? I nodded and got to my feet. Realizing I still had the drug pamphlet in my hand, I stuffed it into my pocket, but not before Mom got a look at it. Perfect. I think the sleeping pills should help, I said. Mom's shoulders slumped a little, and she glanced over at Dr. Brown, her gaze piercing. Do you think so, Doctor? I think it's a good place to start. He frowned, then continued. But I want to check all his vitals, just to be safe. After ten minutes of having me say, ah, checking my reflexes and pupil dilation, and listening to my breathing and heartbeat, Dr. Brown handed me a prescription for some sleeping pills and a referral card to a shrink. His brow was furrowed, and he looked like he was considering saying something else, but instead shook my hand. Take care of yourself, Parker. I'm here if you need me. Mom and I barely spoke on the drive home. She grunted and almost snarled at the other drivers as we went. She clearly didn't believe me or Dr. Brown. I put on my headphones and turned up my music. It wasn't like I was exactly happy with the results of the doctor visit either. Luckily, neither of us wanted to talk about it. As soon as we were home, I headed to my room, shut the door, and called Finn. He answered after the first ring. Hey man, what's up? Nothing. I need to get out of here. Okay, are we talking out to a movie or a south-of-the-border kind of escape? I could hear him munching on something in the background. A movie sounds good. Cool, be there in a few. When I heard him hang up, I stuffed my phone in my pocket and flopped down on my bed. I pretended not to hear Mom whispering to Dr. Brown on the phone in the living room. Yes, but do you think he's on something? A pause. No, I know you can't tell for sure. I've never found anything in his room. A longer pause. Okay, I'll let you know if it gets any worse. Thank you, doctor. Dr. Brown's voice, as he listed the stages of extreme sleep deprivation, kept bouncing around in my head like a rubber ball with no means of escape. I had already been shaking a lot, getting worse every day. I guess those were the tremors. So, next was become psychotic and then die, become psychotic and then die, become psychotic and then die. Fear clawed at me. I was starting to wish I hadn't asked. Sitting up, I moved to my desk. The only thing I could do was be prepared. Time to do more research. I opened a search engine and typed in psychosis. It came up with a definition. Psychosis is a loss of contact with reality, usually including false ideas about what is taking place or who one is, delusions, and seeing or hearing things that aren't there, hallucinations. My stomach clenched. Psychosis made death sound like the better part of my future. I dreaded the hallucinations and delusions more than what would follow. The thing that scared me most was the idea of becoming one of the monsters I had seen so often in my dreams, of not being able to follow my own code, my own morality, or worse, not being able to tell reality from whatever my mind made up. That would be the real nightmare. I rubbed my hands together in an effort to warm them. My future felt cold, isolating. My kind of insomnia would be branded by everyone else 
as insanity. The doorbell rang, and I jammed my finger into the power button on my computer. I stuffed one hand in my pocket as I grabbed my jacket with the other. I needed to get my mind off of all this. I couldn't fix it. Not right now, anyway. Finn was the perfect person to help me relax. Everything about him said chill. I'm going to a movie with Finn. I yelled down the hall. I'll be back later. Okay, please be safe. And smart. Even through her closed bedroom door, disappointment tinged her voice. I bolted out of the house. The instant I saw Finn's face, the first dream of his I had ever watched flashed through my head. Unique. Everything about Finn was unique, and his dreams were no different. I mean, in that first dream, he was a 12-year-old dressed like Superman, battling a giant bundle of broccoli. Finn's dreams were always... memorable. Even his most realistic dreams were never what I would consider normal. That was the main reason I liked to watch his more than anyone else's. Finn's dreams were the closest I could get to what I thought my own dreams might have been like. When we were 13, I told him I watched people's dreams. He immediately assumed I was joking, and, rather than try to convince him, I had dropped it. He probably would have freaked out anyway. Finn was leaning against the wrought iron railing of our porch step. As I walked over, I got a whiff of his deodorant. He smelled like old man spice. His shirt read, I'd flex, but I like this shirt, with a remarkably muscular stick figure below it. I shook my head. That was Finn. His entire wardrobe was full of stuff like that. Glad to see you brought my car back. I plastered a smile on my face as I grabbed the keys from his hand. Is it my fault that my parents bought me a piece of crap that's only spent one week out of the shop since I got it last spring? Finn flashed a grin, and the spattering of freckles across his nose stood out like polka dots in the fading light. Well, it's definitely not mine. Finn clutched his shirt in front of his heart. Loyalty, man. Loyalty. The sun peeked through the dark clouds that filled the sky, and I stretched my hands out as I walked toward the car, absorbing the fading warmth. The leaves were still undecided, half dead and on the ground, half still barely hanging on to the trees. I shook off the feeling that they were a little too much like me and stomped through some dried-up ones on the front lawn, enjoying the crisp, crunching sound the leaves made beneath my feet. The old theater first, right? Finn hopped down the remaining stairs and hurried to catch up with me. First? Is there a second? I shrugged. I've got to buy some new soccer cleats, get them worn in before the season starts. As long as we catch that old crap-tastic kung fu movie, I don't care what else we do. And hey, maybe new shoes will improve your footwork. I'm tired of blocking all the goals when other teams steal the ball from you. He shrugged and climbed in the passenger side. If you blocked more goals, I wouldn't have to try to catch us up all the time. Finn turned up the radio and pretended he couldn't hear me. Thanks for listening to the Riveting Reads podcast, Season 1, Insomnia. New podcast episodes will be available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you're not the patient type and want the full book now, you can find the audiobook on Audible Podcasts or the paperback version on Amazon. Stick around for some author insights from J.R. Johansson about the chapter featured in this episode. Hi, I'm J.R. Johansson, and welcome to the Authorly Insights section on Chapter 2. So, as you can imagine, I had to do a ton of research on sleep deprivation in the writing of this book. 
different effects of it, different experiments and trials that have been done on people that focused on the lack of sleep and the results of those experiments. It was fascinating and honestly somewhat horrifying. Lack of sleep can literally kill you. This is not an exaggeration. In this chapter, Parker has to face his fate in a way that would terrify anyone. And he does what Parker always does in response. He turns to his best friend, Finn, for help. Finn might not know how he's helping or what it is that he's helping Parker get away from, and he doesn't necessarily need to know. But he knows that Parker needs him, and like always, he's there. Their friendship is one of my favorite things that I got to write in this series. Well, that's it for chapter two. I hope you enjoyed it, and I will see you next episode. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Riveting Reads. Please check out details for our reader appreciation program in the podcast notes or on rivetingreadspodcast.com. Also, a reminder that we're still a new podcast and we would love to hear from you. Please subscribe as well as rating and reviewing in your podcast app. Thanks, and we'll see you in a few days for the next episode.